Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Good evening, and welcome to episode 80 of the GateWorld Podcast Theatre. I'm your host, David Reed. Darren is taking this evening off. Tonight, we celebrate 80 episodes, a milestone for the GateWorld podcast. But in comparison to other podcasts running online, I must admit that 80 is infinitesimal. It's really small. I had to take a sip of my decaf cappuccino. In the spirit of this milestone, we bring you two guests with an important topic we have been looking forward to discussing. So, without further ado... The main discussion. I have Louisa Robison calling in from... Is it Alberta? Alberta, Edmonton. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And of course, Tammy Farrar from Phoenix, Arizona. Yay! Welcome back, Tammy. Welcome back, Louisa. <laughs> Louisa, this is your second show. We had you on once before to talk about... I believe it was fan fiction. Yes. Excellent podcast, by the well, way. thank you. It was a good show. That was my very first attempt at that. I was very quite. I was quite proud of it when I listened to it. And now we have you back again. We had a, a show a few weeks ago, uh, Sex on SGU or Sex on Stargate. I can't remember which it was. So yes, um, we didn't have yeah. any uh, lady representation. But uh, I'm working on Darren to have an all women Sex on SGU chat in the future here, so that uh, you guys can have your say. But uh, for now, I did want to talk about the women of Stargate. Uh, and and, uh, the roles that women have played in the franchise, you know, what your opinions are of specific characters. Let's just open up with that. When you think of women on Stargate, what are your first first impressions of that? Are they good feelings? Are they negative feelings? What do you guys think? When I think about the women in Stargate, and indeed a lot of science fiction programs, mostly what I get is empty because they're really not fleshed out. They're not um, multidimensional characters. They're very flat. They're very uh, stereotypical, I have to say. And, of course, some of the men are stereotypical as well, but the men just seem to be more deep. more There's more facets, more nuances to their characters and their characters' personalities than the women. When you say women in Stargate, I have to say I agree with, uh, agree with you, Louisa, in the sense that I think they're very flat, very, very one-dimensional. Uh, every great once in a while, a show will get a little two-dimensional, but very rarely will they ever get in depth in in a three-dimensional way that is meaningful um again they're very stereotypical um and um and it's always from a from a male perspective stereotypical uh, men again are also very you know at times they have a lot more depth have a lot more um uh what's the word i want that they're very uh, more well-rounded at times seem to have um uh, a more well-rounded balance in life that you see on the screen versus the women. And I can't say any woman stands out uh, that comes immediately to mind when you say women in sci-fi or women in Stargate. In sci-fi, I can point to a couple of characters on, say, uh, Farscape and even... Yes, well, yes, mostly, I was no, just, just Farscape. But uh, yeah. in, in Star Wars, Star Trek especially, uh, Stargate, anything with a star in it, they strike me very much as what the writers think that women are or should be. So they portray this rather than 
uh, portraying, say, a shepherd who has um, heroic qualities and who's also, <laughs> despite being an extremely secretive character, we know way more about him than we know about Keller. Even though he tries to keep his secrets and he is a very, very secretive type person and she's very, very much open, we still know more about him than any of the other, even Weir, who is a very open character, or even uh, Taylor, who's a very open character. Uh, the one who's probably the most open, I would have to say, would be Carter. And yet she's still a stereotype. I would agree with that. I think that a lot of um, is is it when you say when we say stereotypical or when I say stereotypical, um, it really is their representation. And it when I'm watching the women on the screen, um, and I see different them doing different things or quoting different lines, um, and how the characters interacting, there's many times I get the thought of, okay, well that's how a man would think a woman would react. Very much. Uh, yeah, and I get that quite a bit, and I wonder. Often, uh, you know, why, you know, why don't they ever ask a woman, you know, they, you know, are you married? So <laughs> <laughs> sisters, mothers, anything, <laughs> anything. Yeah. And so I have to, I, you know, I have to agree with you on that. Um, I think there's, there's different times where maybe Amanda Tapping being when, with the Sam character has maybe pushed back. Um, and maybe that's why I think I've seen a little bit more depth with her character at, in different intervals. There may be depth there, but it's still it's it's a stereotypical depth because you know, she she's she's the absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, can do no wrong, uh, pure genius that everybody has to love because we're told we have to love her. You know, everybody True. loves her. Not every and not just loves her. Everybody's in love with her. You know, everybody thinks that she's she is the 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 epitome, the be all and end all. And we mm -hmm. are, as an audience are told that we have to be in love with her because this is exactly what she is. She has no faults. She has no downside she never comes well, in bitchy and pmsing what, or anything you know well what's what's an, i was going to say what's an example of being told to be in love with her because now that i've never felt she, she the way she's portrayed you know she's she's always the, she's this beautiful wide-eyed doll-like can do no wrong person and okay uh, so that's uh, more that's more of kind of like you need to love her because she really doesn't do anything wrong she's she's the the all-american girl type what we, what we would perceive as that Sure, but at the or same the time, Canadian girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh -huh. but but at the same time, uh, Jack loves her and is in love with her, and will do absolutely mm -hmm. anything for her. And for she's the reason that Janet Fraser. Janet Fraser is the 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 character that I think is probably the most evenly balanced of I a agree. female I, character. I but she's the, she's the reason Fraser's dead. She abandoned her post and went after Jack when he was shot, and that's the reason that Fraser died. And yet she's still. The wonderful can do no wrong. Absolutely, everybody loves her person. So you know, even when she does screw up, she's still perfect. I don't want to go with the the, the old hoary Madonna whore thing, but you uh -huh. know, if I do, she's the Madonna. She and we are the Madonna. Val Mandoran's Val, Val. What the heck is her name? Maldoran. Val. Thank you. Is the whore. So I mean, you've got that two sides of the same coin here. And okay. I, I can see where you're coming from on that. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say I don't agree totally with that, but I can. I can definitely see where you're coming from on that. But as a character, I like Vala better. I, now that I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> I do. I like Vala better, too, because I think Vala's more human. But she has her faults, and she shows them. They were, they're allowed to show She's allowed to show them, and she's allowed to experience them, and mm -hmm. she's allowed to learn from them. Carter has no I, faults. 
Well, I'd like to guy... stick on Carter before we move on real quick uh, here, if you guys don't mind. Uh, Amanda Tapping revealed at a creation convention a few years back that uh, in the first few episodes, you notice you had the lines like, and just because my reproductive organs oh. are on the inside instead of the outside doesn't mean I can't handle whatever you can handle. Tapping went in and said, write me as one of the guys. And by virtue of me being a female, those female traits will emerge. Was that a mistake from your perspective? I don't know. I never even really noticed her as being one of the guys because she's always set apart. Okay. Now, see, I, I would say that I've never either. I've never really thought of her. I guess I'm going to disagree on there because I've never thought of her as one of the guys. But Why? yet I didn't, I didn't think she was set apart either. And now and I, I'm going to say that that particular line, I guess I'm, I'm out of the norm. I thought that line was hilarious. And I know people think it was like, oh, my God, that was so stupid. But I thought it was hilarious because it was so cheesy. <laughs> and, you know, I like spoof movies. So, you know, maybe that's why. And I've got a warped sense of humor anyway. Um, but, you know, I just thought it was it was a cheesy line that worked. And that, you know, and I think of like the old, star, you know, the old original Star Trek where there was a lot of cheesy lines. So that worked for me because I always think those are funny. I'll agree with you that it's cheesy, but I don't think that it's funny. I think it's just a very bad example of someone trying to write for a woman who's trying to fit in. And that's exactly what it was, was someone trying to write Is for a woman. Is that what it was? Well, it's a guy okay. writing for a woman, right? Thinking, well, yeah, I figured that, yeah. And it sounds to me like something that a guy thinks that she should say. Because oh, no woman would ever, that's what it sounds like to me, because there's no way I would have come up with something like oh, that. Oh, no, I wouldn't say it either. Yeah, I wouldn't it, say it either. I, you know, my, my basic line would be like, you think I can't kick your ass? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I never, I guess, you know, I think there's a huge mis misconception um, many times for men um, and even, you know, in the workplace and anywhere and even in society that women don't have to be men um, to get ahead. And so I guess I never viewed her um, as one of the boys or even trying to be one of the boys, but I never viewed her as set apart. I just viewed her as her, you know, just because that's how I think. So I didn't think that, you know, with her saying to them, write it as a guy, I think, you know, in her mind, it was, you know, I, I guess I would think I'd, I'd say the same thing. It's like, you know, I understand you can't understand a woman's psyche. So don't even try. I'll do that part. You know, I guess that's that's kind of how I took that because, you know, she understood their limitations. Yeah. But yet I think I think that in the end, what it comes back to is then when you have, um, you know, she you know, she could be trying to do that. But I do think it was still stifled because it didn't come across on screen all that well all the time no. that, you know, I, I have to. I, and that's where I think I come back to agreeing with you that that she was set apart because it was like they were trying to do it, but yet they didn't do it. They missed the mark sometimes. Does and any yet, of that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. It, 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 it sounds like what you're saying is she took the lines that were given to her and tried to put not a feminine spin on it, but, a, you know, I'm not a guy spin on it. Yeah. And yeah. And it would hit sometimes and it would miss sometimes. And I think that to me is where she would become set apart. But she's if, still saying that the lines that the men have written for her. And, uh -huh. and that, I don't know that she has much of a choice in that, but th these are things that they're saying that she should feel or that she should say or that she should think. And I don't know, well, as, I, as a yeah. woman, I don't know if she actually did or not, but I can say no. that as a woman, I certainly didn't and wouldn't. Well, and I, I think that's kind of part of the, the issue is, you know, it, it kind of, I don't think there's any way to separate 
whether or not there should have been, you know, I know we're trying to stay on Amanda at this moment or on the Sam character, mm-hmm. but the the writers an inaugural part of this because that Sam character is not just an Amanda creation. It's the writer creation along with Sam. And if you don't have a writer that can identify in any way, shape or form with the character, there's no way for them to truly put any depth to that character. So not having a female somewhere in that staff to say, you know what, a woman's not going to think like that or say something like that. And if you're not going to allow the actress to have a lot of input in that, then it's going to come out sounding like, a man's version of a woman and the actress is trying to portray that as a woman trying to recite lines a man wrote very much and that being said though i think that she did a really good job of putting yes attempting to put a spin on it and you know sam wasn't my favorite character and ever will be but it's not for those reasons well not exclusively for those reasons (laughs) (laughs) now before bala came along i have to say sam was one of my favorites and then bala came along we seem to be dancing around like a uh, a possibility here that men cannot write women. Is that fair? Um, I don't know if well, it's fair, I'm, but it's real. Yeah. So men cannot write that, women. Is that what you're saying, Louise? No, no, I not don't, cannot. I just, that they, that they, maybe they don't have the, the right perspective. They can give it a good shot. They can take the experiences of the women around them and, and, and boil it down and come up with the essence of what they think another woman would say. But unless but you, in the end, they're going to fail. No, not in the end, they're going to fail. They're just, it's, if it's not done exactly right, I think maybe it just comes off as false. I was going to say, I don't think you can make it that black and white. I think it's more of a gray area that if you truly are taking feedback from the, the women in your life and you're trying to incorporate it, that's one thing. But if you're if you're trying to make the character fit in and then make it sound like a woman and you're a man, there's no way you can do that. So it's, it's a gray. What about Vala? What is it that, that Vala... Uh, works for both of you better than Sam. She's more nuanced. She's more real. This is obviously a character that uses her sexuality to take advantage of certain situations. And I think I'm going to bring in the point from Scott uh, from Alabama right here. This is Scott calling from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm calling reference to the listener question this week of women in Stargate. I think one of my biggest criticisms of the female characters in Stargate have always been that they have been so strong and so smart. It's kind of the, the question the level against Carter was always that she was the superwoman. And sometimes they were just so strong, so straightforward, that sometimes you, it was like they were written as men, but they were portrayed by women. Uh, so the lack of femininity sometimes in the female characters of Stargate has always been sort of a criticism of mine. However, one of my favorite female characters was Elizabeth Weir as portrayed by Jessica Steen in Lost City. I had I feel like that when Tori Higginson took over the role for Atlantis, that the role kind of went back to that super strong kind of asexual role that I thought Jessica Steen really brought a great balance to in her appearance in Lost City Part 1 and 2. Now, on the flip side, I thought that Vala, I was a Vala fan, because she brought such humor, and she didn't take herself seriously, and she would seduce you as soon as shoot you if it got her her way. And there was something about her ability to use the fact that she was a woman to work in the Stargate universe. Using your femininity to your advantage is, is, is being a slut, you know. 
You can't have that because well, some I'm, say I'm that, a, that that just makes you a horrible person. I'm a little I'm different on that. I look completely at sarcastic here. Yes, I look at I look at Vala as um, I think the reason I, I enjoyed her more is because I I saw her as like you were saying more real because we maybe more real in life itself because you see so many women you utilizing learned behavior in order to move through life. And she seemed to do that. And that was real. But she also did what it was that she needed to do to get by. She well, knew how to survive. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's learned behavior. Yeah. You learn how to survive and you learn, okay, what works and what doesn't. Um, and that's what, you know, she did it. She did what she had to do, just like you're saying. And that was more real. Um, and she was, she was honest about it, though. When, when called on it, she was honest. Oh, yeah. And when, she, and that to me made the character. Um, it didn't. It almost didn't matter, you know, if it was a male character doing that. That was more well written than um, trying to have a, uh, like you were saying with Sam, where she was, you know, she did no wrong. She, you know, she was perfect. She was the all, the all, um, all American Canadian girl. She was a superwoman. Yes, and that was. And yes, you know, and you're definitely going to meet people like that in, in your walks of life that, you know, everything goes right for them. But yet, you know, things go wrong for them, too. And even though we saw a couple of times, I think, where, you know, Sam and Jack would clash heads. But Sam was always, you know, um, still perfect, like like uh, Luis is saying. And um, Vala had flaws and those were there. And yet she still was endearing because you understood that those flaws made a more, she was more well-rounded. Mm. That's a very good point that Vala had deliberate flaws and yet she was she still worked. But you know, a lot of people hate her. A lot of people cannot stand that character. Oh, I loved her. Mind you, I loved the actress playing her too. I liked her in Farsight yes. as well. She played a very excellent female character, excellently well written female character mm -hmm. in Farscape. And I don't know, does Farscape have any female writers or or no? I don't think they did, but I also I you know, and this and this is definitely, you know, said with all respect to the Stargate guys. Um, I think that Farscape was more collaborative with their actors from Could. what I'm understanding, you know, just over time of different things that I think that there was a lot more collaboration of is this working? Is that working? A lot more improvisation um, and that type of thing. Just from, you know, when you watch the excerpts, you watch, you know, I just think there was. And it comes off as being that much, too, because the female characters are just better. Um, yeah. And I have to agree with you, too. I loved Claudia in Farscape. I thought she was so that love of that actress, I think, transferred to as carries over. Yes. But at the same time, the, this character that she's playing in Stargate, she's she started out as a complete villain. Right. And use it. And after we get to know her and she's using her feminine wiles and her her body and her sex and whatever to get ahead. She's it, it's almost like she's aspiring to be the person that Sam is, but she never quite gets there. And that makes her more lovable. The the person that says this, she's this noble on the cloud, perfect angel. Right. And Vala, once she sees this, attempts to become it, attempts to to work towards being a better, more noble person. But she never quite gets there. And I think that's what makes her better, more lovable, more real, more well, relatable. Yeah. I was going to say more relatable and more real because I, you know, I have to say, you know, I, I, Val is my favorite before those reasons, but I do love Sam because mm -hmm. of the fact that I love brainy women. I, you know, I'm, I'm intelligent and I love brainy women. And Amanda brought that off with a plum 
And like you said, she did such an excellent job when everything was kind of convoluted when you looked at it going, okay, I know a man wrote this, but thank God for Amanda. And it, <laughs> so maybe it's it's the love of that actress um, that really brought made that character lovable at different times. You know, I mean, there's so many scenes where um, where I think it was, again, the realness of it. And I know that came from Amanda and not so much from the writer when, you know, she's dealing with her dad dying. She's dealing with, um, uh, you know, different I, – I can't think of all the different shows or anything. But I know when it, when it took more emotion, I know that was Amanda and the actress bringing that to the role where Sam became more real. And I think that when it, when it was the realness of the, of the character and you felt like you could identify more with that. Because I can't – I'm sorry. I can't identify with – um, I can't spout out a whole bunch of technical jargon, shoots, you know, shoot a bunch of bad guys and then, you know, save the planet. Um, however, I can admire that, but I can totally identify with no matter how much something hurts or how much something pains me to do, I've still got to do it and and deal with the emotions of it. That's an interesting point because they always give the emotional stuff to the women. They always give the emotional, the related, the the things that require the, you to relate on an emotional level uh, to uh, Sam's dad dying, for instance, or um, Taylor losing her people, or Chloe losing her father. They always give it to the women. They never give anything that requires an extreme emotional range to the men. What about Daniel losing Shari? Daniel losing Sarah? And he did it with nary a tear and hardly a twitch. Well, but that those are those are very significant emotional arcs to that character, particularly Shari. It took him years to get over that. And they brought it back again and again in various conversations. Conversations, yes, but we don't see him actually dealing with it. Okay. I was gonna say I don't I don't think that I can I can I was thinking now Jack with his son and Jack with dealing with um in a few episodes, I thought Jack um they they did a real good job with him dealing with some emotional issues. But that was very early on. The majority of the time it is given to the women, but I do think more early on in Stargate SG one, um, you saw it with the char- you saw some things with the characters and it was all the characters because you had Teal dealing with um, you know, his son turning on him. So I think early on, but as the show progressed, it did become more just the women. And that I do have to agree with because in SGA, I don't really remember the men dealing with emotional issues as much as the women did. I can give Uh, you a prime example of that. McKay proposing to Katie Brown. She was all excited and he was confused. And then when he broke it off, she was very, very sad and closed the door in his face and left Atlantis and he was still confused. (laughs) When is McKay not confused? (laughs) Very true. Yeah. And, you know, and the sad thing is, is now I have to say, though, at sometimes I guess I don't think about it as much with men because, you know, having been married 24 years, my husband will tell me all the time. He's like, I'm a guy, you know, <laughs> give me some food, some sports and, you know, and we'll talk about some sex and I'm good. You know, I'm a guy. I don't you know, I don't need all this other, you know, we can go talk cars, babe. <laughs> So, you know, and that's not to, you know, you know, take away from all the guys or anything. You know, I have a very, you know, I get flowers every week. I get, you know, so I have a very romantic husband. But, you know, so they have it in them, but they don't express it as well. So, you know, you have to cut the guys some slack, too, that it's not something that we do see as often with the men. So I don't know how real or how, how much I'd want to see 
the men, you know, getting in touch with their sensitive side. You know, I want my men to be heroes. I want them to be more stoic. Um, but that's me. And stoic heroism is great. But if you're trying to tell the story and there has to be some emotional arc to this story, then it would be nice to know exactly what they're feeling instead of just, you know, focusing on, on, on a grim look and furrowed eyebrows. What about Elizabeth Weir? We have uh, a female leader in Atlantis. The writers went out of their way to create a, a female leader for the team. We had Hammond. We had O'Neill. Uh, we went on and, and had uh, Landry. But now we have a, a, a civilian lady leader of Atlantis. How did she work and how did she not work? I really liked Weir. I loved Weir. And I was very sad to see her go. But the way that they had her dealing with some different situations, it, it came off again as, as men writing how they think that the women should respond, but she took it and she gave it this, the, the emotional, the, the depth that I think that a woman would have given it. Like the way that she dealt with Caldwell, she met him head for head on authority and she won and she would dig in her heels and she was stubborn enough that she won, but she was also in touch enough that she could appeal to his emotional side as well. You know, trying to get him to see why it was that she wanted to do this and why she should be allowed to, to follow and do what it is she wants rather than, no, this is mine, this is the way we're going to do it, that's it. I have to say that originally um, I, I saw that when um, when they first introduced the character, I liked how that authoritarian, that it was like listening but yet making decisions. And um, and then as SGA progressed on, and I'm talking about when they first had Jessica Steen, then you know progressing on out to the Pegasus Galaxy, um, it seemed like, you know, it was still there. And I agree with I, I agree with what you're saying, Louisa, when she was dealing with Caldwell. However, I thought that the way that she dealt with uh, Atlantis itself was always very, very well balanced. Um, you know, I, I always thought of her as the leader um, or, you know, a good manager. And having been in management for 20 years, I, I thought it was excellently done. But whenever they would put her in a situation where she had to de deal with Shepard, <laughs> that was that was when I would go. It was like, okay, now you're, you're you've lost me here, because they would always make her back down, and that bugged me, because or he would go around her and there would be no consequences, and that because as the leader of Atlantis, it bugged me that she wouldn't get in his face. And even if you know if you believe that they had uh, romantic feelings for each other or not, as the you know as the leader. She had to step in his space and say, you know, yes, you are the leader of the military unit, but yet I'm the leader of you. So you still have to listen and you need to reason with me why you feel that your 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 plan or whatever is better than mine or why I need to change my mind. And I felt like they would allow him to walk all over her too often. That's a fair point. She never did ever punish him. That's true. I agree with you there. And But at the same time, that has to be ascribed to the, the larger story, I think, because, you know, Shepard is the lovable rogue. And I agree with you there. They had to have the conflict. And I do agree with that. Um, but sometimes it, it the conflict has to go the other way. That's where I think I would get upset is that the conflict always came from Shepard got his way. Sometimes it needed to be because Shepard got stepped on this, and held and down. It would have been lovely to see. It would have been yes. wonderful to see him <laughs> to find his quarter. <laughs> Go to your room. <laughs> yeah, and well, and I think that that's where that's where to me it became a moment of where the writers were. You could tell that the writers were coming from a male perspective. 
Yes. Um, because a man wouldn't think of that. I don't. Well, maybe he would have, but they just thought, nah, nah, nah. He's well, the, you know, he's he's the hero. We can't do that to him. But a man probably would have dealt with him the way Caldwell would have dealt with him, which would have been to throw him in the brig and keep him there. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, do something to you know, and get in his face, and you know, and and uh, you know, maybe he could have won at the end. But yet, I would have liked to have seen her at least a couple of times in the in that time that she was there cuz Sam had the opportunity to do that because she was she outranked him so she had that that definite when she was the leader um but with but with, she still uh, didn't step on him very much no she didn't but not but she still had you know it was it was never a question if she could but with with Weir being a civilian that perception was was definitely different and they never they never pushed back on that and that really that bugged me because maybe you know because I'm a very you know independent woman and I will get in a face if you're wrong mm-hmm. you're wrong what about Taylor here's a character that in my opinion never completely worked was written out of a number of episodes consequently or had a couple of lines of token dialogue uh, what say you guys? Taylor, the penultimate Earth Mother, Gaia. A very stereotypical personification of femininity, feminine power. You know, she's the Earth Mother. She, um, on the one hand, she does know how to use her power to achieve her goals with her people. But she's already a leader in her people, so maybe she didn't need that. But being the, the Earth Mother, in touch with your emotions, meditate you know, respect other people's cultures in in this whole man's world of Atlantis, it doesn't fly at all. Her 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 theory her uh, philosophy I don't think worked. Or maybe the philosophy of her didn't work. Is that why she didn't have very many lines? <sighs> maybe. That personality type trying to work into the rest of the military scientific complex just it just didn't work. They ruined Taylor for me from for so many reasons. Um Taylor, you have a woman who is the leader of her people, basically the president, the governor, you know, the queen, whatever, however you want to put that. And this is a woman that is the ruler of her people. She has the cojones to do this, to stand up. She can fight. She can rule. She can make sure that this whole group mass, this whole mass of people lived to see another day. And yet they put her in Atlantis. And she can't even, you know, can I go on this mission with you? Hello, please. Can I have more, sir? They regulated her down to a Ford level. They regulated that character down to nothing. They had a chance to make her a, you know, a strong character. You want to talk about having, you know, a character that had some role model, some, um, you know, some chutzpah to stand up. It would have been she should have been right at the same level as John. I love Rachel Luttrell. I love seeing her at conventions. I love talking with her. I think she's a blast. But I think not writing her out of the show hurt the show. I'm not sure what they could have done with her to make her character any better. I don't think that they could have done anything with her to make her character any better. I think possibly that you're right. The way, Tammy, that you're speaking, she should have been treated as, what, visiting head of state. I think in a sense at originally, but the fact that she had the warrior capabilities that she had and they, they would play off of that, but rather than play off of it from a warrior standpoint, such as a teal, they mm-hmm. played off of it from the sexual aspect, which is one of the reasons that Vala is so disliked is because they would, you know, dress her in the, in the leather and the, you know, the real, you know, the tartlet outfits. It was, you know, to show off the sexuality of the character because, you know, that's when you're thinking, okay, now are we living out of frat boy dream or are we targeting the 18 to 24 
um, demographic, which is, you know, fine. That is totally fine. But then put, you know, make the backstory of the character fit what you are having them do. When you when you have a character which is that basically a head of state that is also of a warrior caste, you don't turn around and make them a lackey. And that, in my in my opinion, is what they did to Taylor. So if you aren't going to utilize the character in that manner, then you don't create them in that manner. So you're saying that they took Princess Leia, turned her into Xena, and then turned her into a serving girl. There it is. I think that is the best analogy. And see, now I'm not a Star Wars fan, so I can't tell you anything. I you know I can't use those analogies. <laughs> What about Carter on Atlantis, the season that she was on Atlantis? You guys touched on this a minute before about how Carter didn't step in uh, and interfere with Shepard. They played this character with gloves on in season four. Uh, I think largely to their credit, they tried to make Sam compatible with the Atlantis team and not have her go in and change everything because that would have alienated the... um, that would have alienated the Atlantis crowd and, and had them would have had them cry foul. Hey, you're bringing in an SG-1 character and trying to make it SG-1. And they really tried to make Sam a, a member of Atlantis rather than turn Atlantis into SG-1. How do you think that worked? I have to say I liked Carter better in Atlantis than I did in, SG, in the later series of SG-1. And I'm now that I sit here and think about that, I'm not quite sure why that is. I liked her better. Maybe because... She wasn't put forward as the, the, the I-can-do-anything-watch-me-roar type person, but more as the I'm-in-charge-listen-to-me-I-have-the-experience-behind-me-to-do-it type person. Now, granted, we're only talking about 14 episodes of, of, of a single season, <laughs> so you know that's not a very large sampling. What about Jennifer Keller? She's a child. Uh, there, thank you, because they did not explain that character at all. Other than the fact that she was supposedly a child genius... Um, there was too many, too many times that she was, yeah, she just wasn't sure about what she, she was always asking someone else kind of like, should I do this? Should I do this? And it's not that I have anything against Keller herself. Uh, You know, the, you know, I love Jewel. I thought, you know, God, I loved her in Firefly. Um, and, um, I enjoyed the character per se, but I didn't think that that was the right role. Um, or maybe if they would have, they would have not had her as the chief medical officer um, and then write her as if I'm not sure about what I'm doing all the time. I think it should have been maybe a little different. The character that she played in Firefly, she was supposedly somewhere late teenagers, right? Yeah, early 20s, I thought. Early 20s, late teens, somewhere in there and nearly completely uneducated except for her own self-education. And yet she was still a much more powerful, much more in touch, much more self-assured person Mm -hmm. as a character Mm -hmm. than this person that she was playing as a doctor a trained doctor head of medicine in a in a army base essentially Mm -hmm. and she's a hesitant insecure child she has no idea what her own power is how to use it or even how to make a decision i have to agree with you on that because in firefly even though like you say she was you know very uneducated all that you know she learned everything from you know from the ground up from at daddy's knee so you know she had total self-confidence and um I, you you know, even though you might not expect that with a kid who went early in school and all that, you know, in medical school and all that, even that arrogance of knowledge should have been coming forth. It should have been. And yet she wusses out and has other people make her decisions for her and makes cute little pinchy faces and hopes that that gets her by. 
I, I have to agree with that. And I do. I, ha- I have to agree with that because I do think now her interpersonal, um, as far as how she interacted with the, the other people, I thought that was fine. I had no problem with the McKay story, you know, Keller. Oh, I have such problems with that McKay story. <laughs> <laughs> the second she set her sights on him, she wanted to change him. Everything about him was wrong. She wanted him changed. She okay. didn't well, want now, him. She wanted somebody else. Well, now that I can, I can understand there. I'm just meaning in the sense of I don't have any problem with the whole ship thing in that respect oh. because I'm like, whatever. Um, you know, that didn't really bug me. And I didn't really, I, I guess because I never really expect much from that end in any show if it's not meant to be that show. Like Farscape, oh my gosh, talk about knowing how to write romance. And so, you know, Stargate wasn't meant to be that. So I never, I, I, you know, whatever they did was, okay, whatever. And her interactions, just like, you know, Weir's interactions, Sam's interactions. You know, for the most part, everybody's, as friends and as colleagues, were, were fine. Um, but like you're saying, when push came to shove, Weir would make decisions. Sam would make decisions. Taylor would make decisions. But Keller, like you said, she would hesitate. And yet here she is, has life and death in her hands. She did what she had to do to save Weir's life. She didn't. She had Rodney do it. (laughs) Well, slam down for me. (laughs) Well, she was skilled when it came to surgery. You have to give her that. Yeah, she was very skilled. She had lots of skills. Well, see, and that's why I think that's where the problem lies, is that she she didn't derive her confidence and or the character's confidence wasn't being wasn't coming from all that. And she should have, you know, and I think that's where um, you know, that again, it circles back to the writers is that, um, you know, that, that confidence and that arrogance of knowledge, she should have had that. And so you're wondering, okay, why, why didn't she, why, you know, and so there was, there was a break in, in, um, in understanding why weren't the writers giving her that, what, you know, but because they gave that to Janet Frazier. Yes, they did. Totally. Janet would stand up to anybody, so why couldn't Keller have that? Let's move on to SGU. I want to preface SGU by saying that we're in the middle of the adventure for the first season. We've only seen 10 episodes. So analyzing the characters like ev- like we've seen everything that they've, that they've planned to do with these characters is not fair. Uh, I want to state that up front. So in the spirit of having a continuing story... And we're, we're at halftime, basically, in the first season talking about these characters. From a developmental standpoint, how do you feel that they've been moved along so far? Well, I'm going to say this. One of my biggest complaints on uh, Battlestar Galactica at the end was that they were, they were going to a point where they were making almost every character unlikable. And I feel like with the women, like when you were asking, OK, it's not OK for them to have flaws. You know, you were just saying you wanted them to have flaws. It's it's like their their starting point is they're making them virtually unlikable because they have too many flaws. You know, it's like okay, you don't you know, there's a difference between having flaws and identifying them, but yet still having a lot of um, likable qualities and identifiable and redeeming qualities. And may, like you're saying there too, maybe we just aren't there yet. And um, and when you're only getting two or three minutes of screen time per person, it's hard to get that. But what I have seen of, um, you know, the Ming-Nay character, you know, outside of the one episode where she went back to be with her partner, which was which showed a different side of her where she was very, low, you know, she was a you know, more softer person, more open. And you, it wasn't the conniving. It was, an, you know, a person that was more um, you saw a more well-rounded. She was, you know, had a very stable relationship and you saw her uh, be more 
compassionate where on the uh, when she's on the ship and when she's talking with other people with the other she's very conniving she's very manipulating she's you know always trying to figure out how can i you know what side do i play um the same thing with uh, tamra she's not sure what you know it's kind of like like the keller syndrome scaled back a little because she doesn't have the knowledge and she's making decisions but yet she's unsure again and you know but the only thing we know about her is that she was sleeping with her boss we're not learning anything good about her. And Chloe, like I said, you know, Chloe has come off to me as I don't really know anything about her other than, you know, the the things I remember about her right now, because it's been a while, um, is, you know, the downing of the wine at the dinner, kind of the petulant attitude at different times. Um, I totally felt for her when her dad died. Um, but yet, you know, still some, you know, then being, you know, so obtuse that, you know, she doesn't understand, you know, she's not seeing that the other guy is has uh, is Eli, you know, you know, is hurting and, you know, really, you know, cares about her. Well, let's be fair. Chloe has yet to find her place, too. She hasn't. And I and I do give I do give her some kudos for the one scene with um, Scott where he found out about his son. And she was she she was understanding about that. And I do give her I give her a moment for that. To be fair, it has only been 10 episodes. What about the lesbian relationship in Earth? Uh, Louisa, how, how do you think that came off uh, that that portrayal? What are your feelings about that? I think that her relationship came off probably more stable and more loving than pretty much anyone else's relationship. Yeah, I think that's been made pretty clear that that that's the lesbian relationship has been the most stable relationship on the show so far. But at the same time, it's uh, oh look, lesbians, let's gawk. Really, you feel that that's how it came off? I think that well, very much so. I think that it was it it, it wasn't portrayed as a okay, this one is married over here and this one has a girlfriend over here and oh look, there's a lesbian over there. It was this one has got marriage troubles and this one has a girlfriend and oh look, lesbians. Everybody look. Okay, it, yeah, it, see, I have to agree with David on that one. I didn't really get that other than the fact that by sheer contrast, hers is the only stable one where the rest are crap. <laughs> so maybe that's Well, and right. it, yet hers may be crap as well. We just haven't seen it as, just haven't seen it as yet. Mm. That's true. It, it just seemed to me that, you know, it was, it was kind of a spotlight on here we have however many years of Stargate, 15 years of Stargate. It's all been very heteronormative, and all of a sudden, woohoo, here we go, lesbians. Everybody shut up now. Well, that I, that I have to say, in, in my own personal opinion, is I think that, and not to offend anyone, I think it's that that's being done more out of political correctness than anything else. Anytime that you go into that direction and do something that, that teeters on that, aren't you, I mean, isn't anyone going to shout political correctness anytime that that happens? Depends on how it's portrayed, I think. Yeah, and that, you know, again, we've only had the one the one episode with it. So, you know, that again, maybe we shouldn't, that it's a pre, that's a premature thing to say. And we'll see how they how they carry on with it, because if it's just part of her character, it's not spotlighted any more than any other person. Maybe that's an unfair uh, label. Um, But if it is like Louise is saying, going, oh, look, it's the lesbians and they and they make it into that, you know, teenage boy or, you know, young man fantasy. You know, look, it's it's the women kissing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Then. um, then I'd have to say that they they deserve it. I don't feel at all that the that the lesbian relationship was was spotlighted at all just because they did it. Oh look, oh look, I don't feel that way at all. Just because they show it doesn't mean oh my god. You know, I yeah. I, I I respect Luis's opinion on this point, but I don't think that that's the case. Do you think things would improve if the writing team brought in a female to help portray uh, female characters? Uh, is that the case with any show? I don't think that a female writer is going to do any work, is going to do any good because she's just going to get shouted down or outvoted or outrighted or edited or 
whatever. I, I think you need no, to have a I much more balanced that. writing team. I was going to say I, I I agree with Louise. I don't think one woman would be the the answer. I think that would need to be a few women. Even Louisa and I don't agree totally on everything, but bouncing things off, you get a more well-rounded. One woman is affirmative action, and that's just that's not a good thing for anybody. There you go. <laughs> but you know, balancing out the writing team, and if there's four men, bring in four women, and just so that you can have that conversation without fear of being shouted down or outvoted or yes, that's nice, girl. Now shut your mouth and go get us some coffee. Not that I'm saying that, that would ever happen, but you know, I watch Mad Men. <laughs> I think that there needs to be more balance, not that there needs to be a token. Which female characters on Stargate would you guys recommend as, as being strong role models? Strong, Janet Frazier, Bella. Yeah, I, I would say Janet is my first, would be my first pick because she, she seemed to encompass both the ability to stand up and get in your face when needed, and then the compassion was there when needed. She, she was very well-rounded, in my opinion. Um, and you also saw the character in at work and at home. Um, so if you're talking about portrayal of a character on the screen of a woman, because you saw Sam at home too, but it was it was convoluted in my opinion. You know, they because they did a lot of wacky things with her. Um, <laughs> so, but and then Vala because you saw Vala in so many different situations where you never saw. Where even though you saw Sam in, in different situations, it was still within the construct of the military. Where Vala, you saw her in different things. And the other shows, I think they were all pretty cut. They're pretty cut and dried right now. They could definitely I, use a Janet Fraser on a couple of the other shows. Ja uh, Janet was she she was able to relate to Sam on an emotional level. You know, do we need to talk and just to to relate. And then in the next scene, she could turn around and smack Jack down three ways mm -hmm. from Sunday and have no fear about any of it. She wasn't afraid to show her emotions. She wasn't afraid to use her power when it needed, when it needed to be done. And that I think, is, I think what they need to show. I think SGU could use a Janet Frazier type character, not as not being a doctor per se, but I think SGU could use that. And I think SGU could use some characters that have um, flaws with integrity. Or, That's a yeah. good way to put it. Well, ladies, thank you so much for, um, taking the spotlight this week off of uh, off of Darren and myself. It was it was kind of nice to have uh, a Stargate version of The View. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, please, I hate that show. Oh, okay, not, now that was just a little derogatory thing. Well, it's just not 80% of the uh, panel being liberal progressive. But anyway, uh, it's nice to have a balance. Nice to have a balanced discussion. As opposed to geek males talk about sex. Hey, now, I was on that hey, panel. I know. <laughs> so it's okay for, for, for girls to get together and talk about sex, but it's not okay for guys to get together and talk about sex? Well, that's because they do it in a locker room and they're talking about their girls. Well, how's how that for stereotype? How's how, that for how stereotype? <laughs> I was going to say, I can't say much because when the girls get together, we're talking about sex and we're talking about our guys. <laughs> yeah, and you're talking about your periods and, you know, all things oh, like no, that. Oh, no, we so. do not. Oh, you see, that's stereotypical. We don't do that. Well, you know who, when we talk about that, we make sure our husband's in the room so we can gross him out. Or make him leave. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> It's like, it's revenge. It's the all-purpose excuse. I'm sorry, I can't participate in phys ed. I have women's issues. Listener mail. Hi, gentlemen. My name is Cheryl, and I live in eastern Washington. And I wanted to comment on the whole Stargate Battlestar. To me, the most interesting thing about Battlestar was that it was ever considered groundbreaking or new when... If you've seen five minutes of television in the last 20 years, you knew everything that was going to happen, every 
practically down to every gesture. Um, it was aimed at a certain audience. It fit that audience well, but it was extremely predictable. And on the bright side, it was because it was so predictable and took itself so seriously, one of the funniest shows on television while it was on. In contrast, Stargate, in terms of SG-1, the writers took on an issue that no one else would touch when they talked about radical Islam in the Ori storyline. Everyone else in Hollywood pretended that was some sort of terrible misunderstanding, and if you just put your ears or hands over your ears, it would all go away eventually. Stargate took it on as a story. That took stones, and they never got the credit they deserved for it. On the side of Atlantis, if you'll allow me to be geeky for a moment, the interesting thing in the Atlantis universe was that the eruption of all the wraith meant that humans were placed in more danger than ever. So the problem for Stargate Command, if you will, became how to neutralize the wraith without killing all of them off, which is, which is why I found it interesting that you guys took the tack you did on the Michael thing last week. Hey guys, this is Candace from California. Personally, I think um, BSG has always done the character um, arcs a lot better than Stargate. You know, the show BSG really focuses on the characters more so than Stargate does. Whereas, you know, you can say I guess Battlestar is more character-driven show than um, Stargate ever has been, except for maybe the exception of SGU and some of the episodes in SGU. But I think overall that Battlestar did that, always did that a lot better. Yeah, I was always more connected to the characters on BSG more so than Stargate. You know, I was always, I think because that it was simply way more character-driven that you, you know, I was, every time I watched a new episode of Battlestar, I was, you know, I had to be on the floor in front of the TV screen because I just couldn't handle being far away from the TV. You know, that's how into the story I was. And I think being more connected and finding a really deep connection with characters that you're sucked into the story a lot deeper because, you know, because you understand the choices, you know, the terrible choices some of these characters had to make. And you relate to them better because of that. Hi, Darren and David. Shirt and tie here once more in Ireland. With regard to this week's listener question, BSG versus Stargate, whilst they're both sci-fi in nature, it's a little like comparing apples and oranges. Yes, they're both fruit, but sure are very different. As someone old enough to remember the original BSG, I was intrigued to see what direction the new BSG would take. I was not disappointed. The gripping storylines, kick-ass special effects, compelling character drama, and the overwhelming sense of hunter and hunted, particularly in the first two seasons, had me calling out for more. However, while this was BSG's strongest asset, it also felt like its weakest liability. As the series progressed, I felt that the characters came to dominate the storyline rather than be a sci-fi-led series. The overall cohesion of the Cylon plan, if there ever was one, seemed to get lost in a haze of partner-swapping, drinking, and a cult-like religion. Sure, it delivered some truly outstanding television moments, and one can clearly see the analogies to the events of the last decade very clearly, but that, I feel, will date the show over the longer term. On the other hand, Stargate SG-1 certainly appealed to a broader fan base. Sure, it might be a bit popcorn and bubblegum in its storytelling, but it allowed the show and the characters not only to explore new worlds, but also have a host of enemies and allies, and indeed confront issues closer to home. Uh, with example, Sam and Jack, Teal's loss of his wife and personal struggle to freeze people, Daniel's search and ultimately the loss of his wife. 
I feel that the broader nature of the show not only increases its appeal, but will mean that it will date better, just as some of the Star Trek original series episodes still stand the test of time. Thanks, everyone, for the listener mail this week, and thanks again to Tammy Farrar and Louisa Robison for an excellent show. Tammy, you're still with me, right? I am, I am. How about you read this week's uh, question for the next podcast? This week's listener question is, what is your favorite episode from Stargate Atlantis Season 3 and why? That's right. On March the 10th, the discussion will be Stargate Atlantis Season 3. And if you have a favorite show, call in and tell us. Oh, you guys are moving right along in the the history of Stargate Atlantis. Wow. We are. We're running out of things to talk about. (laughs) Well, you're coming right along, though. What's the number that they can call? Please call the listener hotline at 951-262-1647. Long distance charges will apply. If you like, you can use Skype, if you have Skype, to uh, to call that number and leave a voicemail for like two cents a minute, I think it is, the, the, the rate. Uh, or you can record an audio byte of yourself on your computer and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. That's our March 10th show, March 17th. SGU's Antiheroes. Antiheroes? Antiheroes. What is an antihero? I don't know. Darren made this one up. We'll figure out when he gets to it. Oh, and it looks like now come March 24th, you're going to be moving on with Atlantis again on Season 4. Season 4 of Atlantis, March 24th. I don't know what the oh. hell we're going to be talking about after that. Maybe Season 5. Well, no, we can't say- talk about Season 5 because we already did at the, at the beginning of the yeah, when so, we started the podcast. So maybe you should um, have um, some other new stuff. huh? New stuff. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe a, a, a something new to listen to. Hmm. To listen what to? could that be? Okay, okay. <laughs> don't forget, don't forget, you can also leave your feedback in the podcast feedback thread. That's right, in GateWorld Forum. And, of course, uh, the show notes for this episode are available now in GateWorld's news section. This was a really great show. It was. Louisa is a joy to talk she to. Is she a joy. is so insightful. I enjoy having her on. And I I definitely enjoyed listening to her other podcast with the uh, fan fiction. And this was a presentation of GateWorld Podcast Theater.